Okay, our chapter for this week as we're in progression uh, is the matter of the choice to serve. Remember the whole theme of this book is making faith choices. Life doesn't just happen. If it just happens, it won't be a good thing. Life should be based upon biblical choices that trust God and then God's grace enables you to experience life God's way for God's purposes, and it makes an enormous difference. So I very much want to encourage you uh, in that regard uh, to, to be thinking about that all the time. Each day is filled with very important choices. We've looked at the choice to be joyful in the middle of trials, and uh, uh, that is important. And there's just uh, so much that can be learned there. And then to choose to succeed, not fail. It's not talking about human success, but to choose to really believe that God will use you. But now, one of the most important things, in fact, I think this is one of the most insightful chapters. It's going to be very, that's why I jumped in to start right off the bat here, because uh, it's one of the most um, balanced chapters in the book. It's a very helpful chapter on the matter of serving uh, the Lord. And, uh, and so... Uh, this will be a blessing. As you know, over these <clears throat> this last week and a half, we've done a lot of reflecting as we've had to um, just uh, process all that has happened. And of course, right now we're zeroing in on the funeral service, memorial service for Friday night. And uh, one of the things that's a blessing is to be able to testify of a 24-year-old that had really learned what service was all about. In fact, that is probably the number one um, theme that has come screaming out at us. And uh, as I mentioned, if you've been in some of the services, I really appreciated Ben, but I had no idea. I just had no idea all the people he touched, all the things he was doing, many things he was never asked to do, many things that never received any acclaim, but were very, very important. And he would take the task that is at hand. And that's really the heartbeat of this. And I couldn't believe it. <clears throat> I said, well, this chapter couldn't be more perfect, at least for me, uh, because I have myself been very uh, convicted uh, by the life of a young man and being willing to serve as God leads and just do what is at hand and do it uh, sacrificially. So uh, this is an important uh, chapter. Our author begins with the illustration, you may have heard it, I've used it, about the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is in the nation of Israel. It borders Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and Israel, primarily Israel. And um, it uh, is a unique body of water. It's the lowest place on the earth, nearly a thousand feet below sea level. It was formed because of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, you see the big cleft that starts up in the Lebanus, Lebanon mountains, goes all the way down to Kenya. Uh, the Great Rift uh, goes down into Africa. It's an amazing thing. Uh, you know, when God judges, whew, it's a very, very sobering thing. <laughs> and uh, and I, this is a side thing I mention every time I bring this up, but Jesus Christ taught on the very... Uh, volcanic rock uh, that came from Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction right on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. 
And uh, right in that valley was the judgment of God and what was Jesus proclaiming? The love of God and the, and the salvation that comes from him. It's a beautiful picture. But anyway, the Dead Sea um, is dead. There's few microbes and bacteria and so forth, but it is dead. And it is um, a very large body of water, high, uh, high level of minerals. Uh, in it, and the reason for that is very simple because it is the bottom of the earth, so to speak. Water comes in, water does not go out, and so it's trapped and evaporates, and therefore it is the Dead Sea. Not until the kingdom uh, will the Dead Sea be uh, revived, and God will work it to where there's a river that goes out, and then people will start fishing again in the Dead Sea. That's an amazing thing. But anyway. The Dead Sea is a picture of our lives uh, whenever we don't have an outlet. We take in, we take in, we, we uh, take, but we don't give. And honestly, uh, obviously the world uh, is certainly dead because of that, but many a Christian, really when you get around them, the lack of spiritual discernment, understanding, tenderness, uh, Part of that comes because there just isn't a willingness to go out of the comfort zone and be the servant that God wants them to be. And uh, that's one of the reasons we obviously emphasize evangelism, serving others, ministry, because of all that needs to be accomplished by that. But one of the key reasons I do that and I often with the staff as we're praying is if, if folks in our church do not serve, they will not grow. It just will not happen, and they will become like the Dead Sea. So this is an important subject. She mentions how I once heard someone say, and I've heard this too, most people desire to serve God, but only in a, an advisory capacity. <laughs> um, we want to serve God our way, on our terms, in what we like to do. Now, ladies have a God-given natural propensity, which I highly admire to serve. Uh, you have this deep burden for people. You have a heart of mercy. Uh, coming out of that deep ability that God has given every woman, if they are given a child, to, uh, to serve uh, in child-rearing. Child-rearing is real service, isn't it? I mean, really, when you think about it, it's your whole life just, you know, is, is in that. So there's a very natural heart to serve. But we're talking about far beyond that. In fact, we're going to look in just a moment at Martha who did the natural thing but was not commended. So when we're talking about service, we're not talking about doing the things you enjoy or feel are necessary to serve just out of your natural womanhood or personality. We are talking about something that is far deeper than that. In fact, let me just mention uh, from Luke 10, that familiar passage about Mary and Martha. Uh, the Lord Jesus, after Martha rebukes Mary in front of him, uh, Martha says, Mar uh, uh, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, thou art troubled, are careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now, was there anything wrong with her serving? No. The problem was she had not put the priority 
on knowing, having the heart of Christ and letting the service come out of that. This was about Martha, not about truly serving Jesus. And this is what I think is so good about this chapter. She gets down to the really tricky motives that we all run into as to why do we serve. And God has called us to a life of service, but uh, we must remember that service starts with surrender. Not just the desire to serve. Did you hear that? I read through this and studied this and I thought, wow, she has nailed it right from the beginning because many, many Christians do a lot of service but are not really servants. They're not really accomplishing what God wants them to accomplish. And I think, frankly, this is more a woman thing than a man thing. Just because of your strength and natural God-given ability to serve. So we must choose surrender. It's what God wants us to do. And ladies, God's going to ask us to serve in ways that we don't want to, that are not natural, that are inconvenient, that um, don't bring satisfaction. But God prompts us to do it. And this is something, especially in our day, we like to do things that we want to do. We like to be in control of how we order our life, and we all know we ought to be a servant, so we can order being a servant for wrong motives if we don't watch out. It's it's a very probing thing. Godly, I'm going to just read this, Godly Christ-pleasing service starts with a heart that relinquishes any expectations, impure motives, or selfish desires, and lays them at Jesus' feet. See, Mary started at Jesus' feet. Martha started with what was important to her to have a good meal and to look good and to get these things done. And again, nothing wrong with what she was doing, but the Lord did rebuke her. You're troubled about many things and you have not chosen the most important part. And that is, I want your heart first, Martha, then you can serve. Mary has chosen the right part. And so, ladies are often willing to serve, but if they get to do what they want to do. If they get to teach a certain grade, they're excited to help with a ladies' event, but when they're not in the spotlight, maybe they're not so motivated. Uh, Surrendered service, however, means that we will serve God in any way He allows. It means we will be sensitive to His leading, And this sensitivity and surrender can only come from spending time with the Lord. As I said, I think this is probably one of the more, uh, they're all insightful, but this may be the most helpful, insightful balance here. Because if this was a chapter just on serve, 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 we could come out of the wrong window. And she is right from the beginning, very carefully saying, no, it's surrender at Jesus' feet, knowing his heart for his motives, for his glory, and letting him rearrange what we think service is all about. Let me just say this, inject it here. If you ever feel burdened about, what did he say about Martha? She's cumbered about. 
feel like you're a little burned out, it's because serving is not empowered by God and according to his priority. There's something in there that isn't right. Now, certainly we get tired, but you don't get emotionally burned out when you're spirit-led. You can be really, uh, you know, this last week, I don't think I've ever had a week in my life that I didn't have a moment to myself. But, you know, when the Lord's leading, you're okay. You're okay without the sleep. You're okay with what's going on. You're okay with your schedule just absolutely being turned on its head uh, because the presence of God is there all the way through. It's probably one of the sweetest weeks of my life. You know, it'll always be a cherished memory, and already this week is. And I certainly consider everything I have to do as a privilege of being a pastor and being in the middle of things and getting to see real Christianity in action. And that's what I've seen uh, all the way through, and I think all of us sense that. And um, so it is, it's, it's about, as she talks about here, uh, motivations matter. What did God have to do to Moses to get him to have the right motives? Forty years on the backside of the desert. He got to a place where he didn't think he could do it. When he killed the Egyptian, he thought he could do it because he was the most powerful man under Pharaoh in all of Egypt. He thought he was the deliverer. No, it's God who's the deliverer. He thought he was willing to serve. No, he wasn't willing to serve. He was willing to serve on the basis of what Moses wanted to do, not what God wanted to do. And so this really gets down to, I mean, this gets down to the, uh, the real deep motives of our heart. And by the way, if you can get this, it really does help then, as you have lots of things to do, it puts it in proper order. And when you spend time at the feet of Christ and put your time with him uh, first, and then you follow what he says to do, then everything has meaning, it's rich, and it's not about you, and you can just keep going. It changes everything. Um, I won't go through the whole, I, th- I have to mention this illustration. You need to read it about the clown. It was a, a big act in the, what used to be, some of you don't even know what circuses are anymore, but anyway, in, a, in an old-fashioned circus, and this clown's doing all kind of stuff, and he puts his hat on the ground, and all of a sudden this big old elephant comes and sits on it. And he gets all upset, and he's screaming at the elephant, and he comes and kicks the elephant. Well, nothing, the elephant didn't care, he didn't budge. Well, feeling sorry for himself, he sat over on a stool, started eating peanuts. Well, that caught the elephant's interest, and he moved and came over, and he was able to retrieve his squished hat. What was the point? I was actually, as I was reading through it, I said, what's your point? And then, wow, I said, what a point. We move when it's something we like. And we're not hearing God say, I want you to move now. I want you to do this, but oh, that's eh. nobody else ever ever know about that. Somebody else ought to do that. You know, that's uh, that's going to take some time to help that person through. Now, that's going to be that may be difficult. That may be costly. And the Lord's saying, "Would you move?" And then, oh, here's an opportunity, and oh, that fits our personality, what we like, and then we move. I thought, wow. That was a unique way to use that illustration, but it really did stick in my mind when I saw it. I thought, that is really good. And she goes through a list of things that just don't get much recognition and aren't that much fun. 
But she said, our motivation must be Jesus Christ and him alone. If anyone or anything other than love for him serves as our motivation, it will only be a matter of time before our excitement fades and our commitment diminishes. That's why you see people in and out of doing things. You know, we get motivated by emotions. Uh, right now, we're deeply motivated by emotions. But are we willing to continue to do what God's telling us to do five weeks from now, ten weeks from now, when there's not the emotion? Are we willing to serve and meet needs when it's not the first thing on our mind? See, these are questions that we have to let God help us with. As Ephesians 6, 6 says, not, as, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. And so how we need to understand that. And all the things we need to do, they're all important. But we need to be a surrendered servant wanting to do all that we're supposed to do, but for his glory. Even the household chores, we need to ask ourselves why. If we get irritated because our family messes up what we did, our motive's wrong. But families mess things up. Have you ever noticed that? Husbands alone are really, yeah, you know, man, you know, they just don't think. You work so hard and all of a sudden it's a mess in two minutes, you know. But the whole point is, what are you cleaning the house for? To get in magazine? Or are you uh, being complimented? Or are you doing that so your family's happy and so that God's glorified? I mean, that's just a simple thing, but that's an important thing because we have this need to have to do it right. Well, that's important, but what's the motive? And she talks about that here. How do you solve that? Spend time at Jesus' feet. It's the only way you can do it. You've got to get your orders from him. You've got to get your heart rested. You've got to get quieted. Have you ever noticed that there's, if you would do in one day everything that needs to be done, you need about 105 hours? Yeah. So you're not going to get it all done. Okay, what does he want done? What does he want done? And I'll guarantee you, it will conflict with what you want done. See, you could really feel like you're a servant. You're doing all kinds of things. But is that really what God told you to do? And the only way you can answer that is to sit at Jesus' feet. We have a lot of good plans, and I'm all about planning. But I've said about every time, when does your planning need to occur? During your hour with God or right afterwards. Because you need to say, Lord, what would you have me to do for you, for your glory? And so the most important planning that should be part of your schedule, the most important decision you should make is I'm going to spend time with God. Everything else works its way around that. You do not work your time with God into your schedule you, you make it that that's God's schedule. I will meet with him. Everything else flows from that. And uh, we should be planning. And it's not planning to do our devotions. It's planning to meet with God 
and get from him the direction for your life. There's a big difference. Your whole expectation of your time um, in prayer and with the word needs to be to meet with the Lord. So it then gets down to folks, and this is again what I've been reflecting on a lot in the last week or so here, it's all out, complete uh, commitment and surrender with no reservations and no requirements. So whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And, uh, and you're willing to do the things that just aren't going to be seen. But God prompts your heart. Here's a need. Did you know one of the best things in the world is to serve when you know no one will ever know? That's one of the purest moments of worship of God that you will ever have in your life. Because we are very self-focused. We really are. We're image makers. We don't want to be. It is part of our fallen nature. And it's part of our insecurity coping mechanism. I understand that. We all face it. But some of the greatest joy in your life is when you just do what God tells you to do and you, uh, and you just, uh, <laughs> no one will ever know. God does. God does. And um, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So, again, this, this chapter is one that's good to meditate on because it's our daily life. She gives the... Uh, example of Barnabas. Barnabas, God highlights here, but he wasn't that highlighted, but he was highly respected by the church. You remember when Saul of Tarsus was saved, everybody was scared of him, nobody wanted to work with him, but who came alongside and spent the time at what might have been the risk of his own life to help uh, Paul? Well, it was Barnabas on several occasions. He was a helper. He was an encourager. His, what they named him was the son, son of consolation. Well, wow, what a, what a name. He did what the other leaders didn't do. And God takes note of it. Um, he became a mentor and a friend. He was also one that would restore. Uh, that. Uh, oh, by the way, when uh, they went on their first missionary journey, God wanted Paul to be the leader. The Barnabas was the leader when they set out from Antioch and went to Cyprus. But after God did the miracle under Paul's direction, how does the Bible designate that team? It's no longer Barnabas and Saul. It is Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas was fine with that. He was fine. I... Uh, and deeply privileged to have a father that was not a man that tried to be the leader, tried to be in the forefront. Uh, he always, his goal was to make other people successful. Dr. Ed Nelson, many of you don't know the name. I would encourage you to get that biography, by the way. That'll help you appreciate him, one of the great leaders of the last generation. But Dr. Ed Nelson said, I can't tell you, Wayne, how many times your dad told me what to do, how, how to how to do it, and I'd say, well, why don't you do it? He said, no, you've got the gifting. You get out there and do it. And so Ed Nelson went out, and, and he says, I had so many things that people thought I really did a great job of leading. And he said, it was actually your dad was doing it through me, but your dad just uh, 
that wasn't his desire to be out front. And of course, Brother Nelson was more gifted that way. But I appreciated that kind of a heart. But you know, people ended up really appreciating Dad because uh, of that kind of a heart that he had. Um, and then, of course, he was a restorer. He restored Paul. He restored Mark. You know, that whole uh, problem between Paul and Barnabas, I, th um, I think God actually used that. And then the North African church was opened up by Barnabas. And then Mark became a dear friend of the Apostle Paul, wrote the gospel of Mark, John Mark did, and uh, God mightily used him. So it's pretty exciting to see the, the ministry of Barnabas, and of course he went and helped Antioch. So she says here, you know, really one of the big things about serving is to be just be an encouragement behind the scenes to others, to help them succeed. Not that you're seen. Your greatest joy in life ought to be that your children do well, not for your sake. That your husband does well, for God's sake. That your, um, the people you touch are really blessed. Even if folks don't even know anything about it or they don't even fully realize what happened. That is really the essence there. You can't so here's, here's the thing I would say is you cannot serve God, or the chapel often would say this, you can't serve God without serving others. And so it's all got to be about lifting people up, furthering the work of the Lord, being a comfort because of the reality of their lives. Jesus Christ, of course, was the ultimate example in selfish service Selfless, excuse me, service. Mark 10, 45, he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, that's the word for serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And so um, there's a lot of things you can do. An encouraging note, a kind word, a small gift, a loving gesture, heart, just prayer when no one knows it. Doing other little things to help people um, and have things the, the right way. When God puts it on your heart and mind, it is very important uh, to do that. And, um, and so the greatest joy we have is to see God's hand in everything. Which book do we talk about that's the book of joy? Rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians. Where was Paul? In prison. Was he rejoicing? Yes. He had always prayed about having an impact on imperial Rome, so God put him right underneath the palace. <laughs> and Caesar's household was affected, and people were getting saved right under Nero's nose. <laughs> That's just God. The only way that could happen is for Paul to be put in prison. So he's rejoicing. But what's he doing? Feeling sorry for himself, being chained up? No. He's seeing it as an advancement of the gospel, and he's thankful he can serve in prison. And that's the thing that always touches me as I'm reading even today of, uh, for instance, from Myanmar, Brother Timothy Mang, and others that are suffering beyond words in horrendous situations and yet they thank God for the privilege of serving. 
meeting the needs of people, getting the gospel out. Their life is not about themselves. So expect, expect that God will use you if you are lined up with him. So if you start the day at Jesus' feet, do you think Jesus will give you an opportunity to make a difference? But it won't be on your terms and it won't be on my terms. It's going to be on his terms. Because in serving, especially when there isn't much to be gained humanly, in serving we keep growing because we don't have a human motivation. It's just you and God. Sometimes you will be noticed, that's fine, but where does the credit need to go? It needs to go to God. And, um, and so <clears throat> the Lord Jesus is our Lord and Master. And what term did the Apostle Paul use at the beginning of most of his epistles? Paul a servant. Anybody know what that Greek term actually meant? Bond slave, the lowest of the low of the low. I am simply a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Now, he would exercise his apostleship because God gave it to him, but it was not for his own selfish purposes. In fact, in First and Second Corinthians, he goes to great length to say, I have not served for that reason. I have served because I am a bond slave. And so, uh, in fact, it's real interesting. Note those times when the Apostle Paul talks about that. But God has a great, um, he wants us to have a great expectation. In Philippians 1.20, that great book there we are just talking about, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or <clears throat> by death. <clears throat> so she ends with, don't dwell on the past. Don't get discouraged. We're all growing. Forget those things which are behind. Have an expectation as a servant of the Lord that he can free you from yourself. And you can have the pure joy of being a servant to do all that ought to be done. I'm telling you folks, that's when living begins. When self is not there. And only by the power and grace of God can that happen. You cannot... Uh, you cannot be a productive and obedient Christian without having a heart of service. But it isn't our own initiated service. Uh, did you catch that? It's God-initiated service. And that is what we have to see. And that's only going to be gained by going to the throne of God. So, a wonderful Chapter, again, it means much to me this week, reflecting on what we're reflecting on. And that's what God honors. That's what God honors. We can't do anything for him. It's him doing what needs to be done through us. But isn't it a privilege he allows us to? So we really need self-broken. We really do. And uh, that's, that's when God can mightily work. So I trust that you'll meditate on this. If you have the book, I would read that chapter again. That's worth reading. And uh, you can discuss that now at this time.